I don't know if you've ever had a great storyteller in your life. Um, typically, it's, it's a relative, right? It's maybe a grandparent. Maybe it's your dad. Uh, but when you think about the great storytellers, you think, well, it could have been a teacher. Um, it could have been a Sunday school teacher. Uh, maybe as a co-worker. But they start to tell this story. And as they tell the story, you're sort of drawn in. And your imagination starts to run and grow. And, and if you're in a, a location, like outside around a campfire, and something that sort of ties into the story, it's even better. You know what I'm saying? How many of you are just thinking about it? You don't have to raise your hand, but you're sitting around a campfire, and you're hearing a story, and all of a sudden, maybe it's a camp counselor, and he starts to share something. It gets a little scary, and then you know, it's dark, and you hear a twig on the woods snap. All of a sudden, you're just like, it, it, the imagination takes off. You know what I'm saying? Something about being in the location as well as the storyteller adds to that. And this morning in, in Scripture, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus was sitting by a lake, a body of water. He got in a boat, and he, he started to teach a crowd of people. And he shared a couple stories. Matthew 13, 1, it says, Later that same day, Jesus left the house, sat beside the lake, a large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. And he sat there and taught as people stood on the shore. No lawn chairs, no blankets, no umbrellas, no sunglasses, no water or drinking coffee in the sun, which doesn't make sense. But none of that was going on. They just stood there. They're drawn into the great storyteller, Jesus Christ. And he told many stories in the form of parables, and these stories had meaning behind them. They weren't they weren't meant just to entertain. It wasn't like, oh, I hope you got a laugh out of that story. I hope I scared you. I hope I, I, hope I caused you to be inspired to do something. It was, Jesus was teaching these stories to teach, to bring across the point. So he began to tell a few more stories, and then, you know, a few puzzled looks, a few, oh, yeah, that's what you mean. And then Jesus came in off the boat, went into a house. People came into the house. He told a few more stories. Here's one of his stories. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for a great choice of pearls. And when he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned just so he could buy it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net thrown out into the water and and, and dragged in and fish of all kinds is brought into the shore. And those fish were separated. The good fish in the crates, the bad ones thrown away, and that's the way it will be at the end of the world. Angels will come. They'll separate the wicked from the good. Throwing the wicked into fiery furnace will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And do you understand all these things? Jesus said to the people. And I think about this, you know, when we read these stories, we discover there's always a point to the story, right? Not to just entertain, but to teach, to give us something of value, to walk away with and say, that's what I needed to hear today. And both the man who discovered the treasure and the merchant who bought the pearl, there's a close relationship with those two stories. They make every effort to possess what they discovered. However, the man who had the hidden treasure was apparently not looking for it, but he discovered something that was very awesome. And the other man, sort of an accident, you know, in the case of the merchant, he finds a pearl, and the other one had this lifelong quest to find it. 
One stumbles across it, one's seeking it. A lot of people of us are like this too. We're, we're maybe not seeking Jesus Christ. Maybe we don't have anything religious about us. And we just are out there living life, and then suddenly we stumble across truth about a man and God by the name of Jesus Christ. And suddenly it hits home. It's like, that's what I've been seeking. Never really had that before. I think that's what I needed. I was, I was thirsty for something, but I didn't know it was Jesus, the living water. And I, I was really hungry for something, but I didn't know it was Jesus, the living bread that I needed. We realize that we're sinners in need of a Savior, and all of a sudden we have found that great master physician and healer ready to fix our lives and to redeem our lives. And he gives that to us, and it's incredible value. The other person is seeking but finds it difficult to discover God. Maybe some of us were that way. The journey seemed longer, the search a little harder. All this time we didn't realize that God was seeking us as well. And then suddenly it makes sense. We discover that great price, that great value for what Jesus Christ has to offer us. And we take it. Different journeys, but to the point of discovering. Once they discovered new life in Jesus Christ, the reaction was similar. The reaction between the merchant discovered the treasure, the one who found the pearl. Different journeys, but their reaction was the same. And, and here's what I want you to hear this morning. First, they recognized the value of what they found. Then they determined that they have to have it. And then the third thing was, they sold everything to make their purchase. And the fourth thing was, they acquired it. They went after it and got it. I want you to go back here. First thing they did is they recognized the value of what they found. Now, I don't know how many of you here are collectors. Maybe you collect ball cards, antiques, paintings, coins, I don't know, bottle caps, old jars. Uh, if I were to ask the ladies here how many of your husbands uh, are pack rats and they need to clean it up, some of you would say, preach it, brother, right? And some of you men might feel the same way about some of the things that are tacked away in the attic or down in the basement that your wife has held on to, I don't know. Some people are collectors for different reasons. But when you stumble across something you collect, you immediately recognize the value of that object. It's like, oh, this is dated back to 1920-something. You know? It's like, you know how much this is worth? Oh, I've been looking for it. There's only like three of them ever made. And you sort of get excited because you know the value. What if I were to be a collector of coins, and I'm down south, and there's this old house that's going to be auctioned off, cash only. And I thought, you know, I'm going to check out this old house, see what's in there. And I go in the house, and I go down into the basement, you know, this sort of the old cellar, and I get down there and look at stuff, and I discover an old desk. You remember those desks that you sort, of, you sort of fold up, and there's all these compartments? And I discover in this desk a secret compartment, and I open it up. And in that secret compartment is a, is a felt bag. And I open up the felt bag, and there are gold coins and silver coins sort of mixed together. These are dated back to before the Civil War, and I'm thinking, oh, I know what I just stumbled across, because I'm a coin collector, and I, I know the value, and this is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, and maybe millions, and, and oh, and I look around, there's nobody, nobody else has come down in the basement. So I take those coins, put it back in the felt, and I push it back in that compartment, and tuck it away, and close up the desk, and I step back and think about it and thought, hmm, what am I going to do? 
Well, first of all, I recognize the value of the treasure, right? Here's the second thing that those merchant and the man who found the pearl was, I'm determined I'm going to have that now. So the determination always changes your behavior, right? As soon as you're determined to have something, your behavior changes, you act on it. In both stories, these men were determined what they have found. So, and I'm determined to buy that house because I want that desk and those coins, really. So here's the problem, though. I don't have enough cash to do that. But I'm determined. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to sell my car. I'm going to sell all my belongings, put my house up. I'm going to sell everything I have so that I have enough cash so I can go back and buy that house. Because if I can buy that house, and if I can acquire it, I'm going to have my treasure, my valued treasure, and I will have 10, 20 times more than I've ever had in my life. That's what I'm going to do. I'm determined to have it. I'm going to do something about it. So just like in the story of the pearl and the hidden treasure, I'm going to sell everything, just as they sold everything, so they could acquire their treasure, so they could get their pearl, so I can get my coins. And here's the fourth thing, they acquired the treasure. Having recognized the value of what they had and discovering the value and selling everything they have and the desire to have it, the man who discovered the treasure and the merchant who discovered the pearl, they made the purchase. So I'm going to make my purchase now. I now have in my hands what I desired to have. Just like salvation, being saved from the clutches of sin and death and hell, that doesn't consist of merely just seeing the value of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It isn't like stepping back, oh, that's a nice story about Jesus dying on the cross. That's, I recognize it. I see that. There's got to be more. You've got to understand the value of it, and you've got to want it. You've got to be determined. And that choice is really your choice to go to Jesus, to go to that cross, and make that become your faith. You see, there's new life in Jesus Christ. Salvation is the treasure. You don't understand right now, but we are sitting in northwest Ohio in Fulton County in the community of Wauseon, and some of the richest people to walk this planet are sitting right here in these chairs. You're what? Really? Well, I looked at our financial statement of the church. It doesn't look like we're the richest people. Did you see what I drove today? We don't look like some of the richest people. I don't think anybody brought it. Did anybody bring in Chipotle today? You ever heard of here? No. I mean, not you have to be rich to eat there, but it sounds really good right now. I'm not talking about riches financially. I'm talking about riches spiritually. You are millionaires in Jesus Christ. You have an inheritance in heaven. Your heavenly Father is the owner of every single thing. You know, my dad passed away, I don't know, you know, acreage, what he owned, the house. You know. My heavenly Father owns everything. Spiritually, I'm the richest person walking this planet along with you. We must intellectually recognize the truths of the gospel, and then emotionally there's a hard element where we're drawn in to recognize that Jesus is our Savior, and then we have to volitionally make a choice a commitment to whom the gospel presents. Listen, this is an individual decision of faith. Each and every one of you sitting here today, this is your own choice. Your parents can't make that choice for you. Your spouse can't make that choice for you. I can't make that choice for you. If I could make a choice for you this morning, I would decide that every single one of you would place your faith in Jesus Christ and walk in victory. That would be my choice, but I can't make that for you. That's your individual choice. That's what you have to do. 
The man in the field didn't allow somebody else to buy the treasure, hoping that he could maybe share it. The merchant didn't form some kind of cooperative to acquire the pearl to share it. Each made the purchase for himself, and so must we. It's your choice to recognize Jesus Christ, to determine to have him as your Savior, and to give up everything so you can acquire that relationship of faith in him. That's your choice. And let me tell you something, that's never a bad choice. Look at the person next to you and say, it's never a bad choice. Just look at him and say, it's never a bad choice. Uh, some of you aren't participating. You must be new here. Okay, that's all right. I understand. We do this every now and then. It's a little weird. I know. It's like, I got to look at them and say something. Can we do that in church? Where's the usher at? He's probably going to hit me, right? It's okay. You can do that, okay? It's never a bad choice. As I've never seen anybody come back into a church and get in line for a return. I'd like to return my salvation. It's not working out. I've never seen that. Nobody's ever come to me and like, can I take back or can I get back? Never happened. You know where the longest lines are after Christmas? In the returns, right? So many people unhappy with what they received. Or it just didn't work out. It didn't fit. Or it wasn't the right color. Or it just, no, it's not exact. I'm just going to return it, return it. Long lines after Christmas. Not with salvation. Not with salvation. It's never a bad choice. Nobody wants to give it back. You made the deal of your life. You're joyful. Christians should be the most joyful people. You should be showing up this morning, even though you're hot and you're sweating right now. And it's like, how much longer? Can I get in the water too? I think I want to get baptized today just to cool off, right? It's, we're, we should be the happiest people. Hey, sweat with joy. Go for it, okay? And I'm not talking about Joy Fuji, okay, or Joy Chamberlain, okay? If they're working out, I don't know, okay? You want to go work out, go for it. But s- celebrate with joy, with smiles on your face. You're the richest people in Jesus Christ. We have an incredible inheritance in him. Sometimes I think we forget the value that we possess. And Jesus reminds those listening to the stories, listen, there's great joy, except for those who want to acquire it. Oh, there's a bad side of the story? Yeah. And he tells that. For those who are willing to seek the greatest valued gift of lifetime, for those who accept it, it's an awesome thing. They get God's gift of salvation. They place their faith in Jesus Christ. But for those who don't, there's trouble coming. Let me read this again. Jesus continued with this other story. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown out into the water, brings in every fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it up on the shore, sat down, sorted the good fish in the crates, threw the bad ones away. That's the way it's going to be at the end of the world. Angels will come, separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fire furnace where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This story is separation of good fish and bad fish, right? But the word judgment is used in the Bible, and it means to separate. In, in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, it's, it's written in Hebrew. In Hebrew, one of the meanings is to discriminate or to make distinctions. In Greek, which is the New Testament, in Greek, it means to divide. When Jesus comes with judgment, he is dividing. He's made distinction. Good, bad, evil, righteous. Those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, those who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ. It's a dividing, a thorough, and, listen, eternal. That's a key word. Eternal separation. We know that there can be good people in the midst of those who do evil, and we know there's evil people who can do good in the midst of good people. We know we could, we could have a thousand people out here, and we know mixed among good, and there's good and bad, right? But on the day of judgment, when the Lord judges in the end, we're going to find ourselves in one place or the other. Not straddling the fence. Not like, well, I can sort of go back and forth. Just, uh-uh. Righteous, unrighteous. 
good, evil. Those who placed their faith in Jesus Christ, those who rejected Jesus Christ. They're already dividing a separation. I'm telling you something, it's permanent. Nothing is more permanent than collecting good fish and throwing the old fish in the crate and just dumping it, burying it. That's the way it is. But the devil wants you to believe otherwise. Who's our spiritual opponent, right? He's always whispering into your ear, there's always time tomorrow. Don't do it today. Just wait till you get older. When you get a little more intellectual, when you are an adult, you can make an independent decision for yourself. The devil's always whispering doubt because he wants you to delay, because he wants you to think this is way far off. And Jesus says it could be any time. You better be ready. We also discover that Jesus describes a terrible fate for those who don't place their faith in Jesus Christ. No one on earth, not even a pastor, wants to predict this. No one wants to stand before a group of people and tell you what's going to happen in the end if you go to hell. Nobody wants to say that. Jesus does. Jesus says this more than anybody else in the Bible. He talks about hell more than anybody else does. And he says it's suffering. There's a fiery furnace. There's gnashing of teeth. There's weeping. Separation from God. It's it's horrific. It's terrible. It's tragic. It's hell. That's what it is. When I hear people use that word in modern day language, they have no clue what they're saying. When they throw that word out, they don't understand that it is an eternal, true place the most horrific place that could ever be. Do not use that word flippantly. Do not throw that out there because that is a place you will never want to go. You don't want anybody to go. If you have the heart and compassion of God, you don't want anybody to be there. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we're trying to keep people from there. Jesus talks about it. Do not want to be there. And when Jesus finished sharing his truth, he said this. I'm going to say the same thing. These are the words of Jesus. Listen carefully. Do you understand this? Do you understand the story I just told? Do you understand the message I just gave? Those were the words of Jesus Christ after he said all this. These are my words to you this morning. Do you understand this? Do you believe these things? Listen carefully. Are you prepared? Some of you came prepared this morning. Whether it was sunglasses, chair, bottle of water, you came prepared. Some of you are like, oh, I... I forgot my chair, oh, I forgot water, I forgot sunglasses, I forgot an umbrella, I forgot, that would have been good. Sometimes we're prepared, sometimes we're not. Here's one place you do not want to mess up. That's being prepared eternally. There's no going back. We know how quick life can come to an end. If you're not prepared, it isn't like, well, when I'm on my deathbed, you don't know when the deathbed's going to be. You have, you, we just don't know. We need to be prepared, so... Here's how we respond. There's only one way to respond, by the way. Uh, I discovered something. I don't know. Um, I'm, I can scan and see if there's a certain family here that un- they saw this happen. They, they saw it go down. They probably looked at me with, like, that's my pastor. That's my friend. I'm so embarrassed. We were at school for open house for Clay, and I'll confess my faults in front of you now. We were at open house uh, over at the school at the beginning of the year just a couple weeks ago. And we go in that night, and he gets his locker combination locker and his schedule and all of his stuff, pay his fees. And we're like, okay, it's the first time Clay's going to be using a locker and use the combination left, right, right, left, left, right. Which one is that? Left, right, left. Kind of clock. Okay. So we had to figure that out, and I had to go back to his memory. Anybody, you still have nightmares at night? You, you have these dreams going back to school, and you couldn't get your locker open? Anybody else? Good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. I still do that. So here I am at Clay's locker. Say, so you can do this, buddy. Here we go. Locker. Yep. We tried. I tried. I kept trying. Somebody else tried because they're like, here, let me get that. And you know the pride of a man? 
sure, go ahead and try. And under my breath, I'm going, hey, listen, if I can't get it, you're not going to get it because I know I'm the pro at this. So why are you even, that's what's going on in my mind. But go ahead, yeah, go ahead, try it. Smile on my face. God bless you. Um, They couldn't get it open either. So I'm thinking, now I'm feeling good. It's like, see? But I didn't say that. Oh, there must be something wrong. So I went down the office. They gave me a new locker, a new locker combination for clay. So we go back to the new locker, and I'm there. Okay, new locker, new locker combination. It's going to work this time. Okay, 11737. 11737. Okay, calm. You're a pastor. You're a child of People are going to look at you. They're going to, okay. Meanwhile, one of our friends from church is there, like, oh, well, you trying left, right? Yeah. Yes, I'm trying that. Get under my breath. I'm like, yes, I'm trying that. I tried again. Couldn't get it. Walked away. Look at the paper. Why can I not get into locker number? Hey, let me try that again. Hey, it opens. You're at the wrong locker. I know. I, just, uh, I was standing at the wrong locker with the right combination, and it just didn't work. I was even at the right locker, what I thought was the right combination, the wrong combination. That didn't work. Let me tell you something. There's only one way to open a locker at a school. You've got to have the right locker and the right combination. That's the only way you're going to get in. Or stick a dynamite, but I think that's illegal. Okay? But there's no other way to get in. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, that's me. Anyway, my fault declared to this morning. But Jesus said, there's only one way. There's only one way. I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No man or woman or child comes unto the Father except through me. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. There's, there's no other way. We might think we can get into heaven a certain way or another, but there is no other way. Not by payment. I can pay my way in heaven. That doesn't work. Oh, my grandparents' faith or my, my friend's faith, that doesn't work. Well, I, I did this religious thing when I was a kid or I did this thing at camp and I... And no. Good works don't do it either. It's a confessing of your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is the only way. So I ask you this morning, do you believe? Do you understand these things? Are you prepared? Once we believe we've acquired the greatness of salvation, there should be joy and we celebrate with others. And that's why we're here this morning. We're going to celebrate. We're going to take communion right now. I'm going to ask the elders to go to get the communion trays. They're going to come around with cups of juice and a piece of bread. And as they come around, I'm going to ask you to go ahead if you're taking communion with us. If you've confessed with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, And before you pass, I'd like to pray before you guys pass this out. If you've made that decision in your life and like, I want to celebrate this morning with communion, then take a cup, take the bread and wait. Once everybody has it, I'm going to say something and pray and then we'll take the the bread together. And then um, I'm going to say something else, pray, and we'll take the juice together and we'll celebrate But before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're an awesome God. I thank you, Lord, for the story of the merchant and the the one who found the pearl. and They discovered a great treasure. 
and, and when, they, when they discovered it, they're like, I've got to have it. I'm so determined. And they sold everything they could to go buy it. That's the way it should be when we hear about your son, Jesus Christ, who loves us so much that in our sins, in our mistakes, in our faults, we, there's no way we can get right with you. So you made the way by dying on the cross, the shedding of your blood, the ultimate sacrifice. No other sacrifices will work. That was the only one. So that when we confess with our mouths that we're sinners and we believe in our hearts that you are Lord and we, we ask for forgiveness and we ask you to be the Lord of our life, we place our faith in you. You're faithful to forgive us of our sins. You're faithful to cleanse us. You're faithful to call us your children. So God, we sit here right now in the heat of the sun making sure our hearts are right with you if there's sin we need to confess Lord help us confess it to you now forgive us Lord Lord if um, we've never placed our faith in you Lord we want to place our faith in you now because tomorrow might be too late today this afternoon might be too late we don't know just like the net got drug up onto the shore and the good fish and bad fish got separated. There's a time when there's going to be a separation. God, we want to end up in the right place. We want to be in your presence. So God, if we need to pray right now and ask for forgiveness, forgive us, Lord. Cleanse us. We pray that to you. In the name we pray. Amen.